Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back for our second episode. Yep, we're very excited to be here. We hope you enjoyed our first episode. This one's going to be a two-parter. It's a little bit of a longer case. So you'll it's have crazy, to though. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a very crazy case. Um, but you'll have to come back for next Sunday if you want to know how it ends. So, which we think you will because Yeah, it, you'll definitely want to know yeah, how it ends. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so, the episode this week is going to be on Dean Coral, the Candyman. Hence the song in the beginning, which is from the Candyman movies. We're not quite sure if this case really has anything to do with the movie or not. Yeah, I can't find any definitive answers that say whether or not it does have yeah. any basis with Same. the movie. Same. I mean, I watched a documentary. The first documentary I watched on Dean, it said it was loosely based on a short version of his life, which is, I saw that in other sources as well, but then had also found one's just like Brittany that said it didn't. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I'm Jess. I'm Brittany, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I just said her name two seconds ago, but just in case you didn't hear me. Yeah. So, let's get started. Sounds good. Yeah. So, Dean was born December 24th, 1939. He was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This guy is a real fucking piece of shit uh the things that he did um between 1970 and 1973 he's known to have killed a minimum of 28 victims all of the victims were male and they all aged from uh 13 to 20 years old and most of them were in their mid-teens yeah i think you know 13 yeah, 13 to 19-ish, so... I think he was actually, like, the leading serial, like, murderer up until Bundy and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and John Wayne Gacy, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Um, Which is I, crazy that he's not, like, more heard of. I know, yeah. I mean, in our house, we love the Candyman movie. Um, sorry to... Re- oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, there's a new one coming out, which is exciting, exciting Jordan Peele, um, which I love. He's awesome yeah I mean I don't even know what to say he's good he's great hey Jordan Peele what's up if you're listening to this yeah yeah um but he's actually I believe directing the new Candyman really so it looks really good but um why was I even bringing Candyman movie back up I'm not sure we're just explaining the music yeah yeah exactly that's why we played that song it's the theme song from the movie um Yeah, so um, his dad was Arnold Edwin Coral, and his mother's name was Mary Emma Robinson, which every single time I say that, I just want to say Mother Mary. Mother Mary? Yeah, I mean, even practicing, you know, I just, Mother Mary, it would not (laughs) stop coming out. I even made a little note right next to it. So I would know not, not to, to say, say that. It. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm obviously telling you. So, yeah. Uh, he was the oldest of two bra- uh, sons. His brother's name was Stanley Wayne. He was just two years younger than Dean. His dad supposedly was very strict. I yeah. try to find more on that. Like, what? Why was he physically? Like, I don't I, think so. I think, I mean, I basically, well, from what I read, it, it's like he wasn't bond of his children okay. like he didn't enjoy fatherhood oh okay he was strict and like a harsh punisher yeah yeah but, um, yeah from from the small amount that I've read it's just he wasn't into being a father okay <laughs> yeah so same like I couldn't really find too he much was in his detail life but yeah he definitely was I mean we'll see soon you know that he continues to stay in their lives yeah. so uh but Mary was extremely protective of the boys uh you know when the when Arnold was being strict or being an asshole Mary came to their protection uh she loved the boys and you know from all accounts she was a really good mom they were both from all accounts, good yeah. parents. Yeah. I mean, Definitely uh, we like, didn't find anything about physical abuse, you know. I mean, I'm sure half of us out there had strict, at least yeah, one of one our parent. parents was, you know, more strict than the other. So, but unfortunately, the couple did argue a lot. Yeah. And in front of the kids, you know, 
both Stanley and Dean witnessed um, the fights that they had and they ended up divorcing in 1946 when Dean was just six years old. Mary ended up selling their family home and the whole family moved um, to Memphis, Tennessee. And that's where Arnold, he was drafted into the United States Air Force. So the reason okay. why she moved them out there so they could stay in contact with their father, which yeah. I commend her on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she didn't probably have to do that and she wanted them, them to, to have be a, in her life. Yeah, yeah, to have a close relationship. So for, for them to be in his life. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a child, Dean, people say Dean uh, was very shy, he was very serious, and he didn't really socialize other uh, with other children, but he did display concern for the well-being of others, which kind of surprised me to yeah. hear that. You usually don't hear that. That's when you start to see maybe signs oh, that yeah. they of don't have that empathy there is as a child you know but he was not displaying any of those types of characteristics so he was shy like we said he didn't have a lot of friends but he was a kind child when he was just seven he actually suffered an undiagnosed case of rheumatic fever and that's a disease that can result from inadequately treated strep throat or yeah. scarlet fever it wasn't actually recognized that he even had this until the doctors found a heart murmur in 1950. And then that's when they realized that he was undiagnosed. Um, as a result, though, really the only thing he couldn't do was, you know, the doctor rem recommended him stay out of physical sports. ed. Yep, no sports. <laughs> I know nothing caused some absences from school and it, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. No, he wanted him to keep away from anything that might cause strain on his yeah. body, you know. So that's what the doctor recommended for Mary for her son. Um, after that, Dean's parents in the same year, 1950, ended up um, remarrying, which probably wasn't a good idea yeah. and nothing changed for them but they did they got married again and they all moved to Pasadena Texas but it was very short-lived uh they only stayed married from 1950 to 1953 so just in three years they were divorced for a second time Mary you know retained custody of both of the sons but again, she wanted them to maintain regular contact with Arnold. So even though they're split up, they still seem like a pretty close family. Yeah. Um, Mary ended up then meeting and marrying a tra traveling clock salesman named Jake West. Can I just say, yeah, a traveling clock salesman is the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. I know. Like, I'm like, I'm like, that's that was a thing. Like when I was reading that, I'm like, I've never heard. I mean, of course, there's clock salesmen, but just the, yeah, like a traveling just thinking clock of salesman. somebody knocking on your door and having clocks to yeah. choose from, different shapes, styles. It's like, come to my house. I'll buy right? a clock from you. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. I also thought it was thing. very adorable. <laughs> um, they, uh, the whole family after marrying Jake moved to a small town in Vider, Texas. And then Mary and Jake ended up having a daughter, Joyce Jean Janine Janine, in August 10th of 1955. The couple then started a small family business, a candy company, which I also Again, think is adorable. So cute, yes. yes, I mean, that's really probably what I should be doing. Anybody who knows me knows I should probably be selling candy or ice cream or something. I know a lot about it. Yeah, it's, it's true. It is. It is true. Uh, even though Dean was still in school, he worked his little ass off. I mean, he was at that candy company day yeah. and night. He put in Him ton. and his brother. Yeah, right? him and Stanley both. I mean, that's what they did. I, I mean, a family business, I guess, yeah. that's what you would do. But, it, I mean, he really worked day and night, it said. So he, he was a hard worker. We'll even see later in life. He, he is a he hard always worker. Had yeah. employment. He always know? had regular employment. Um, You know, n nobody really... Had anything bad to say about him either, like on the record, yeah. any of those jobs or anything. So, 
Uh, Dean and Stanley were responsible for running the candy making machines and packing the product. And then their stepfather, Jake, would then sell this candy on a sales route. So, you know. <laughs> so he's a cloth and candy salesman. Yes, yes. My dream jobs right there. <laughs> Uh, he would travel west to Houston, which would take him into the city, and that was where most of the product would be sold, was in the city. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, from 1954 to 19- 1958, Dean attended Vider High School. He was a well-behaved student and got good grades. So, I mean, once again, he teachers yeah I mean he wasn't in by school. all accounts he was normal yeah you know? I mean he was it seemed like a other than you know which being sh- there's nothing wrong with being shy I shouldn't no. say I was gonna say other than him being shy but that's not not normal so he was nice to people he wasn't getting in trouble yeah so uh he was known to be a loner but occasionally dated girls as a teenager which surprised me a little bit yeah. I know at one point he'd moved to Indiana with his grandmother he did. for two years. Yes, yes, which You're is actually, that, yeah, that's going to be coming up. Yep, yep, definitely. Like, he was proposed to. Yes, yeah. It really surprised me to read that, you know, that he did date multiple girls yeah. because of his shyness and his seriousness, you would think it would be more difficult to make a girlfriend, yeah. maybe, than it would to make guy friends or you know yeah. friends in general but um no, you're right. yeah so but he did he definitely was uh maybe a little bit of a player I don't know <laughs> um but his main interest in school was playing the trombone and the brass band he was really good at it that's what he wanted to do while he was in school the summer of 1958 Dean graduated from high school and the family moved to nor- the northern outskirts of Houston so the candy business could be closer to the city. Uh easier, I'm sure, yeah. you know, he's having to travel there on a regular basis to sell the candy so it makes sense. Probably more business too. Exactly. Yep, yep. Um in in that time the family actually ended up opening a new shop called Pecan Prince, which was the brand name of the candy product. Okay. So obviously they're doing pretty good, you yeah. know, to be able to have two open candy factories. I mean, they're factories. That's they're making the candy there. It's their family product and they're all of them are very hands-on. You yeah. know, it doesn't even seem like they really have too many employees at this point. Um, so they're all very involved um, in this business, including Dean and Stanley. Here comes Britt. In 1960, <laughs> yes, sorry. she did. That's okay, though. In 1960, at the request of his mother, Mary, Dean moved. <laughs> Dean moved to Indiana to live with his widowed grandmother. Uh, I'm sure she probably needed him at the candy business is what it seemed like to me. But she also, like we said, it's a close family. You know, her mother, his grandmother needed some help. So Dean accepted, you know, this offer and he is now back in Indiana. Uh, While he was there, he actually formed a really close relationship with a local girl. They were good friends. They hung out a lot. Um, but in 1962, she proposed to him and he, yeah, uh, he rejected the proposal, uh, which ended a friendship and about two years later, he decided it was time to move back home to Houston, uh, to help with the candy business. The shop actually moved to Houston Heights, and Dean later moved into an apartment of his own above the shop. So now he's getting a little bit of freedom, uh, has his own place. Mary divorced Jake in 1963. So second divorce, or third, I mean, Uh, technically technically third. third. Yeah, yeah, third divorce, unfortunately. Um, but she ended up opening her own candy business called mm-hmm. the Coral Candy Company, which I was like, hell yeah. Like, right? no, I heard they had a little bit of a rivalry for a minute. They did. The two yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They definitely big. A big. I didn't learn too no, much about it was that. fierce. Was it really? It was, <laughs> yes. It was fierce. Yeah. Yeah. I have that also you written tell me down. about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. curious. So in the new candy company, the Coral Candy Company, Dean was appointed vice president and Stanley became secretary treasurer. 
that same year, a teenage male, and they, they were able to start hiring some employees. One of the male employees, he was a teenager, like I said, he ended up making up a complaint against Dean to Mary that Dean was sexually harassing him. He yeah. was saying sexual comments to him and he did not feel comfortable. He he didn't like it, you know, and he he wanted to make a complaint against him. Um doesn't seem like Mary took it very seriously no, though she because didn't. she ended up firing that employee. So, uh, yeah, I yeah, it probably I, took a lot for him to even come forward exactly. being a teenager. And I just and look knowing. at the big picture of everything that has that happened and you go back to even just such a I mean to when we are looking at the big picture, it's such a small detail of what has happened. Yeah. But what if something was done or said or it could have really changed oh, a yeah. lot of things if he when he was first making these unwanted advances towards these teenage boys young boys I mean a teenager is a child still your brain is not fully developed like as somebody who owns a business you would take those things serious exactly yeah yeah but that's your reputation yeah 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 but she didn't and she did let him go a few years later, uh, in 1964, Dean was drafted into the United States Army in August on August 10th, uh, 1964. Sorry, <laughs> I just said that. And that was the Vietnam War. Um, I, I think believe it was. I believe yeah, yeah yeah that it was. Um, he was assigned to Fort Polk, Louisiana, for basic training, and then he was later assigned to Fort Benning, Georgia to train as a radio repairman. And this was before he would be uh, permanently assigned to Fort Hood, Texas. So, you know, he went through his training, he got his job title, he was gonna fix, um, he was gonna be a radio repairman, and now he's stationed in Texas. According to official military records, Coral's period of service in the army was unblemished. So again, yeah, I mean, again. yeah, he, he, got his job he knew what he was supposed to do and he did it no complaints from his higher-ups from his supervisors nothing I mean he had a wonderful track record track record yeah so but he reportedly hated being there yeah he was ready to come home um he just did not like it at all and also this is the 60s. Uh, I'm sure you can already tell where this is headed with him and boys, yeah. teenage boys, you know. So I- I'm sure there were bigger reasons of him just wanting to come home, you yeah. know. Well, this is like, in while being in the Army is like where he kind of like started to realize, like, I think he already did realize he was yeah, like homosexual, yeah. but like, this is where he started acting yeah, on it, it with is. other guys. It, and like it getting definitely into, is. You know? Yeah, yeah. He actually made um, a statement to some close acquaintances, and he told them that in the army is where he did first realize that he was homosexual, and he actually had some of his first like encounters yeah. with other men in the army, homosexual encounters. That was all when it started to really open that door for him. Um, but because he did not like it so much. He actually applied for a hardship discharge on the grounds that he was needed in his family's business. And the army granted the request and he was given an honorable discharge on June 11th, 1965, just after 10 months of service. Hmm. So 10 months later, he was on his way back to Houston to help out um, with the candy company. Back to how he told his friends about his first sexual encounters in the army and everything. Um, I read that his friends, some of these pe- acquaintances that he told, they already knew. Yeah. They already saw how he was acting around men at home back in Houston. Uh, so they already had a little bit of a clue an of an idea that he was indeed um, homosexual. Which I feel was, like that's like a common thing, especially for like young boys who are in like who are. I mean, he wasn't a boy, but he was still like. I mean, learning he about himself, yeah, he was, you know? yeah, yeah, definitely. Too bad. I've had friends where like they've come out, and I've been like, 
come on, we knew. Yeah, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, definitely. We've known, <laughs> yeah. and it's, and Don't, we love yeah, you. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, and I, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from yeah. these friends of his as well. Like, we already knew this, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, you're allowed to tell whoever you want and do it your own way. Absolutely. And, you know, this is how he was going about it. Um, so after his honorable discharge, Dean returned back to Houston Heights and he resumed his position as vice president of the Coral Candy Company. Yes, uh, the fierce competition between the two. <laughs> Tell me Jake, about it, please. Well, yeah, well, Jake West still owned the Pecan yeah. Prince Company. And, um, even though they were, you know, previously married, it, it did not matter anymore, <laughs> you know. One of them needed to be top candy yeah. seller. Um, from what I'm like seeing is the Coral Candy Company really was maybe. I mean, they had to work so much just to get out the product that was being bought. You know, yeah. so it seemed that way to me. I'm not entirely sure. I kind of feel like Pecan Prince is sounds familiar to me really? I don't know if it's still hmm. maybe around in Houston we'll but have to look it up and see yeah yeah definitely because it does sound kind of familiar to me but yeah so Dean was working as much as he possibly could and in 1965 uh, the company re relocated to 22nd Street and that was directly across from Helms Elementary School this is where it all kind of starts now is being across from this elementary yep. school um, Dean started to become known to give free candy to the local children, especially, especially teenage ex boys, yes, especially the teenage boys. Uh, because of this, he earned the nicknames, the candy, the candy, Mar, the candy man and the pied piper. Um, and Dean was seen to behave very flirtatiously with the teenage male employees at the candy company. Yeah. So... I literally have in my notes right after that, Coral is literally the reason you don't take candy from strangers. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is literally, this is your parents' like, worst nightmare right here. Is yeah. this stranger, not that he was a stranger, I mean, he, they are known, but giving out free candy to your young children, young children, yeah. elementary school, and teenage that is still young, 12, 13 oh, yeah. years old. I mean, so it is. It really is. It's like, okay, no more free candy. Back <laughs> the fuck away from my from these from the children. Kids, yeah. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine seeing him creeped up across the street, <laughs> like with a basket, hands like in the basket, right. ready to like a trench coat. With, yeah, like, like yeah, opens up the trench <laughs> coat. Yeah, like, candy whatever you want today boys and girls mainly boys so yeah very creepy and very weird as a parent I don't think yeah. I would feel a little weird about it but again this is in the early yeah. 60s I mean you things were different things are very different if anything it could have been like he was known as the wonderful candy man yeah. who had all the free candy shit. If I was there, if you, go, you, you would know, have been, damn well I would have been taking. You would have been there every day. Yeah, I would have been looking for that free candy, definitely. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> he ended up installing a pool table at the rear end of the factory so that after work, the employees and uh, the youth in the town could come hang out, play pool, uh, you know, so they were all hanging out together there. Um, yeah, and you know, that's how it kind of all really starts. This yeah. is how he ends up meeting one of his accomplice accomplices in the crimes, uh, David Brooks. Um, so go ahead, Britt. I'll go ahead and let you take it from there and talk about, um, this fucking piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> all right. Well, David Brooks was one of the kids, like Jess said, who frequented the candy shop around Dean in the back, you know, hanging out with the boys. Um, he was 12 when they met and he was, you know, kind of from a broken home and he ended up, it kind of became that he looked up to Coral. I don't know if that was really as like a father figure. Yeah, or... it was. It definitely was. He, a lot of them looked to him like he was a father yeah. figure, you know, 
I don't, it doesn't really say if any of the other ones came from broken homes, but David Brooks, you know, definitely did. His parents divorced in 1970. He was only 15. Yeah. He ended up dropping out of high school, you know, so he he probably was looking for that yeah. balance. You know what I mean? Somebody or who... Or even just someone to, you know... Lean on, yeah. to talk to, anything. And Coral was, that, was person. that person for him. Yeah, so... And after about two years of friendship, um, Coral talked David into beginning a sexual relationship with him. Yeah, he didn't um, want to I mean, do he that. basically groomed him into, you know, be- beginning this relationship. Yeah. And, um... I know you have information about he would pay him, right? Yes, yeah. Well, Dean would actually take, um, like, David Brooks and other youths on trips. And this is another thing is he has a a car. Yeah. You know, like, he's old enough to drive. You know, these are all very enticing things Things for for children. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So... He would take um, David along with other youths and they would go for trips um, down the South Texas, like border through like down to the beaches, multiple beaches through there. Um, And then he would, he would give them money. So yeah, they definitely did look up to him. Yeah. They Um, were probably like, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. We have this person who's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Our friend, but older and can, you know do these things for us and wants to be around us. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, and then in 1969, um, that's when Brooks decides that he wants to start to offer, um, I'm sorry, that's when Dean decides he wants to start to offer Brooks cash or gifts to allow him to form, perform, sorry, trigger warning, fellatio on young children. Yeah. So, Brooks is what? So that was more than just date, like just more than just him performing it on David. Yes, yes. Okay. He he did start this sexual relationship with um David, and even though he didn't want it, you know, but he went along with it. I mean, at this point, as a young, you know, somebody this young, he it's hard to say no now oh, to this yeah. guy who is giving you money. You probably mm-hmm. feel like you owe him in some way, even though. Yeah. You don't, but we all know how your brain works. But yeah, he started to tell him that he would buy him gifts, cars, yeah, give him cash he yep. if he would bring young children so date or so Dean could perform sexual acts on them. Yeah, yeah, and I know, like. As he was spending time with these teenage boys and stuff, he was also forming an interest in, like, bondage, but bondage with, like, a sadistic streak. Yes. Not just bondage, yes. you know? Yeah, I mean, This it's... was not consensual exactly. bondage. Yes, yeah, and I mean... He would host parties at his house, mm-hmm. and, or at his apartment, where they would get, like, high and drunk, and, yeah. I mean, again... That's something that teenage boys are like, you know, wanting to, to do. do. Yeah, yeah, goes definitely goes through those phase. phases. Yeah, for sure. It's just like anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just. And I read like even stuff like they would sniff glue and paint and you know, stuff yeah, like they that were, just to get yeah, high and, any is, type of really drug that yeah. they could get high off of. They were definitely <laughs> doing that. Um, Brooks actually lived in Beaumont with his mother and he would come go back and forth from Beaumont to Houston, which is where his father lived. When he was in Houston, he would stay with Dean Coral a lot. Um, at one point he even made a statement saying that Coral's apartment was basically like a second home for him. Yeah. Um, and he would just go there. You yeah, know, and yeah. He would just walk in. Right? Exactly. Just... Yeah, he would. He would just walk. I mean, he may have even had a key, but yeah, he, he was he was allowed to just walk in. Um, you know, this is how Dean is gaining his trust. He's allowing him. Hey, just use my place whenever you want to. You yeah. know. So, and then eventually he moves back to Houston. So now it's like he's there all the time yeah you know and both of these kids especially dean we know didn't really have friends even though this is such a toxic friendship um and um one is using the other manipulating the other it's still for them 
something. Yeah. Something that they've probably never really had before, especially yeah. Dean, you know? I mean, they so, were both using each other for different reasons, you know? The only difference is that David was a child yes. and Dean was an adult. He yes, should have and not knew been better. Doing, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this time, um, by this time, Mary, uh, Dean's mother, and Joyce, Dean's half-sister, moved to Colorado after another failed marriage. Um, and then on top of that, the candy company actually closed under, down. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And that was like 1968 Yep, yep, exactly. So all within, this is all within just a few years. Um, and then after the candy company closed down, I mean, we know that was his full-time his life. That yeah. was his life, you know? So he ended up taking a job as an electrician at the Houston Lighting and Power Company where he tested electrical relay systems. And he, this is what he did until the day that he died. So, you know, not that he, he wasn't very old when he died, but yeah. he kept this job that whole entire time. So now probably in somewhere around the beginning of 1970, and you might want to go back and add other information that I'm, you know, not thinking of, but, um, Brooks walked in to the apartment like he usually did, you yes. know, he yeah. was used to being just there. being able to go in pretty much his place too. Yep. And um he walked in on Coral who was abusing two teenage boys or young. Yeah, it was teenage two, boys. Yep, yeah, two teenage boys. Um, yeah. Apparently they were strapped to some type of homemade torture rack. Probably should have a warning. <laughs> um Coral was apparently embarrassed, you know, um as one would be probably. Yeah. And um he released the boys. Yeah. In front yeah. Of yeah. Brooks. He. Yeah. yeah. These. These are still victims, but he yeah. didn't. You know. Um. He did let them go. So. He basically said he was just having some fun, and he ended up offering Brooks to buy him a car. Right? Yeah. In exchange yeah. for his silence. I believe a Chevy Corvette. I think was, was the a Corvette. First, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. A Chevy Corvette was the first car that he bought for him. So. <laughs> like okay. You yeah, know, like, I mean... Offer me a Corvette at 16 and, or 15. I know, but it's like... Was he even old enough to drive it? And like, that's just the thing is, that's why he is just as guilty as Dean Coral is in my eyes. Really? Because, oh yes, because, I mean, we'll see as time goes on the things that he does oh, yeah. for him. But even just that first thing, you just walked in on somebody that had two young boys strapped to a makeshift torture torture rack rack, and you let a car keep you silent now you're right you know what i mean it's just he could have went right then and there to the police and this could have i mean who knows if it would have prevented everything we can't say that for sure but it's the fact of though is that he was being able to be bought to keep silent and he liked it he We'll see. He continues to do this. Yeah. You know? So, it's just fucked up. He had a chance right then and there to to do something about this, and he didn't. So, most of these kids were abducted from Houston Heights, um, which then was a low-income neighborhood northwest of downtown Houston, which we know that's where Dean you know, they all, they're basically like neighbors. They yeah, all, all live there. in the same neighborhood. So these kids all know each other. Um, with most of the abductions, he was assisted by one or both of his teenage accomplices. Uh, we already know about David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley was his second accomplice. <clears throat> Seven, no, yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah, no, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, um, now they had already killed a couple people before Henley came into the scene. Yes, yes. We'll see, yeah, at some point, once we get a yeah. little further down, yeah, once he starts. they It's a few people, like quite okay. a few before Henley. Yeah, yeah. Um, several victims were friends with one or both of Coral's accomplices. Others were individuals with whom Coral had himself became acquainted with prior to the abduction and murder. So it was easy for them you know to lure these yeah. kids hey we're gonna go party like come yeah, on like we're friends cut you know well 
I mean, if you called me yeah. and said that I would go, I would never be expecting to be held then against my will. And that's, it's so fucked up. Like, you never think that it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you never think. You never think your friend would do that to yep, you. Yep, yep, you trust them, you know? So even though they're luring them, it's like they didn't really have to do that. They were yeah, friends. Yeah, no, they didn't even have to, like, work to get them there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, two other victims were former employees of the Coral Candy Company, uh, Billy Balch and Gregory Malley Winkle. Dean lured these two they he lured these two victims into one of two vehicles he owned a ford econ go ahead Britt. how do you say it econoline econoline van which of course a white yeah, right? creeper van it's like listen if you want to go out and do this kind of shit please do not buy <laughs> a white van <laughs> sorry to anybody who has a white van that has never yeah. harmed a soul i know that there's tons of you out there but every time I see a white van I don't care if it's sitting in a parking lot driving down the street next to me I'm wondering what's, what's going on there. in there <laughs> you know especially the ones that have two windows no windows in the back oh yeah I don't care if I can totally tell that you have paint all over your face I'm I'm very suspect of oh you. yeah for sure you know and he very suspicious and he there. did yeah I mean he uh, to, uh, he was using that van yeah. to do this kind of shit. So I will never understand that. Get another type of car, you know? Um, so he would use either that vehicle or a Plymouth GTX to lure these children um, to, into. Or the 1969 Corvette that he did buy for Brooks. Oh, he did? So, yeah, yeah. See, I didn't think Brooks ever got that car. No, yes, he did. He bought Brooks. A 1969 Chevrolet Corvette. Damn. And he also used that vehicle sometimes. It was more or less the other two cars yeah. um, that they would use. But they would sometimes use that Chevy Corvette. Um, and he brought he bought that for him <clears throat> excuse me, in early 1971. So it was a pretty new car. Just a few years oh, yeah. old, you know. Um, <clears throat> when he would approach them... He would, of course, offer to take them to a party, mm -hmm. like Brittany was saying earlier, to sniff glue or, you know, drink. They, he would ply them with alcohol. They would smoke marijuana. So yep. he would either offer to do that or he would offer to give them a lift home. And then he would inevitably, no matter what, even yeah. if they didn't want a party, they were going back to his house. Yeah. Even if they were like, yes, take me home. He, they weren't going home. He knew exactly what he was doing, yeah. So the teens would then be um, taken back to Dean's house, and they would inev inevitably end up passing out because yeah. of all of the alcohol and drugs, and they would either be tricked into putting handcuffs on. Like, I know that they would do this type of um, trick where they would have a hidden key in, yeah. in their back pocket and they would put the handcuffs on themselves and, they and then they would get out of them easily yeah. and they're like hey now you yeah, try yeah. let me show you how to do that and once again know? since it's their friends they're like okay cool like they're just assuming it's a trick not a way to uh, that they're about to harm you yeah but if they wouldn't if they didn't want to put the handcuffs on they would be grabbed forcefully and be made to put them on mm. So from there, they would be stripped naked and tied to either Coral's bed or usually a plywood torture board, which would be hanging on the wall. Very John Wayne Gacy-esque. Yeah. yeah um, I'm actually surprised how much Gacy must have taken from, you know, yeah, Coral. Like, yeah. There's no way he didn't read about him and you know there's just so many similarities there's so many similarities and and obviously Gacy was after Coral so yeah I mean we'll see as we get further down the line I mean clearly we can already see teenage boys taking them back to his home applying them with marijuana yeah, with alcohol um yes getting them messed up even the handcuff trick yep Gacy used to do that he was a clown, you yeah, know, was, I don't mean to get into no, Gacy, no, but, but you know, yeah. he was a clown. So just another way that people trusted him, you know, they believed he probably had a handcuff trick. Yeah, so exactly. It was, it was easy for him to do that. 
And he also had a makeshift board that mm-hmm. he oh. would handcuffed his victims to. Yeah. So he, you're right. He had to have taken methods from Dean Coral. Um, once handcuffs handcuffed, the victims would be sexually assaulted, beaten, tortured, and sometimes uh, after several days killed by strangulation or shooting with a 22 caliber pistol. It's so fucked up to me that you keep, you already know in your back of your head you're going to kill them and you keep them alive oh, for yeah. days and days and use them. He would starve them. Yes. And, you know, dehydration and, I mean, further down the line you'll find out more stuff, but yeah, like he would just keep them. Like, yeah, yeah. Not just, all of them, but a lot of them, yeah, you know? Yeah, just, just the worst of the worst, Yeah. Their bodies were then tied in plastic sheeting and buried in one of four places. Um, so he had rented a boat shed, a beach on the um, Boulevard Peninsula, a woodland near Lake Sam uh, Rayburn, which Coral's family actually had a uh, lakeside log cabin there. So okay. I'm assuming he knew the area pretty well. Yeah. Or a beach in Jefferson County. Which, like... When I'm thinking of a beach, like, I mean, this might be a stupid question, but, like, how do you bury a body on a beach? Yeah, yeah. Like, with I, sand and, like, water, unless you, like, no? Yeah, I'm unless there's, like, that. a wooded area yeah. somewhere. And, oh, yeah, but, like. Yeah, but, I mean, it clearly stating on beach. the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know if, I don't know. Yeah. You know, but we'll see. Obviously, he definitely uses all of these places to to put a lot of bodies um it's just so fucked up this thing that he does uh next i'm sure you probably have this too he forces his victims to either phone or write to the parents no nothing no. nothing i read yeah in it. yeah he would um force them to either write a letter or make a phone call to tell these parents, hey, I'm okay, you know, don't worry about me, I've only been not home for, and these were all kids who were in school, um, who had families, siblings, had jobs, Yeah, it was going to be very noticeable when they, first of all, don't show up at home, but don't show up for school or show up for their job the next day. But he did not give a shit, obviously. I mean, because every single victim was pretty much just like that, you know, had somebody who would notice that they were gone. But the parents knew that these were not their children Mm -hmm. writing these letters. Um, You would think that, like, I mean, you know, investigative techniques and police, but uh, you would think that, like, this would be, like, a common thing. Like, not only are all these children going missing, but all these parents have gotten, you know, a phone call or a letter. letter. Yeah, yeah. And these boys were, like, a lot of them are young. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um... You would definitely think that. I would think that. Every statement a policeman took, and like, I see a common factor here. Yeah, and they're all in or near Houston Heights. Yeah, exactly. That is really weird. I didn't think about that Like when I was going through this of how did it take yeah. this long to catch on to him, you know, or Brooks or Elmer. I, I don't... Yeah. It's crazy to me, but... You know, maybe because they didn't have as great investigating techniques yeah. or something, they couldn't really compare. I know a lot of times, like even if it's the next county over, they can have a hard time. Oh, with, yeah, with jurisdiction. Yeah, and yeah. Communication. There's, exactly. There's so many times where cases don't get solved for that exact reason is because mm-hmm. two jurisdictions don't want to agree and work yeah. together. You know, so it could be something even like that, you know, is why they were having such a hard time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, But during the years that he was abducting and murdering his victims, Coral would often change his address. So he would stay in one place for a while, do his thing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, have parties there and do what he does and get out and move on to the next place, which was also strange to me. Like when you do background checks or credit checks or you'd be like, oh, wow, he's in his 
yeah, tenth house within just those things probably weren't existing as yeah, much. Like they yeah, weren't true. They weren't running background checks. Yeah. They weren't running, you know, I, mean, I wonder they how it worked checks, then, but, you know, to nowadays it's like impossible. I mean, you know, exactly. Get, honestly, back there, you could probably just go give them the money for the house and they're like, okay, don't, you know, don't, don't burn fuck, it down. Don't fuck <laughs> shit up. Yeah. yeah don't fix you know? shit up or it's yours. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and yeah. From them doing that is why things are so strict now, you know? Yeah. Yeah you don't rent your house yeah exactly (laughs) yeah like you fucked it for everybody (laughs) you know now it's impossible yeah um so yeah so he would change his address often until he moved to pasadena the spring of 1973 he always lived in or close to houston heights so he's Mm -hmm. kidnapping straight from his backyard basically you know it's just fucked up so yeah so his first murder, uh, well, his first known victim was um, 18-year-old Jeffrey Conan. Yes. And he was found hitchhiking, right? Yes. He was a college freshman, um, and it was on September 25th, 1970, and he vanished while hitchhiking uh, with another student from the University of Texas. He was trying to hitchhike to his parents' house in Houston, and he was dropped off on a corner, which the corner that he was standing on, hitchhiking on, was kind of like a caddy corner from Coral, one of Cor- the Coral's, one of his houses. Okay. You know, the newest house that he was renting. So this was just by chance. It was that, just like, basically by them. chance that he found that him. Yeah, he was dropped off. Um, he's trying to catch a ride. Coral catches a glimpse, glimpse of him. And um, he goes over in with one of his vehicles. He drives over to him and he offers him a ride. And Conan, of course, accepts. And then um, he offered to bring him back to his house to party. And so they did. They went back to um, to Coral's home and they got drunk. They, you know, did whatever. Um that was on Yorktown Street. And like I said, that was like Caddy Corner to where Conan was standing. It's just, he's trying to get home. He's trying to get home to his family. And, you know, fucking piece of shit this guy is. Honestly, Um, Brooks ended up leading the police to Conan's body on August 10th, 1973. The body was buried at High Island Beach, which this might answer... Oh, never mind. Never mind. Um, forget what I just said. <laughs> he, the body was buried at High Island Beach, and the forensic scientist stated stated that the youth died of asphyxiation caused by manual strangulation, and he had a cloth gag um, in his mouth when they found him too. The body was buried beneath a large boulder, which was what I was gonna say was yeah. maybe would answer the question from earlier. Is, Maybe he would bur- he would bury them in the sand and then he would put yeah, I mean, these maybe. big rocks over top of where I'm sure it would have been a lot harder to find him. Brooks led them to his body. So who knows if it was not in like high tide or something, who knows how long it would have made me took since he was under a boulder. He was. He definitely yeah, was. Yeah. Okay. He. Yeah. He. He buried him, and um, he he put him beneath a large boulder, covered him with a layer of lime. So yeah, you know, which is also very John Gacy, um, and then he wrapped him in plastic. Um, he was naked and he was bound hand and foot with nylon cord, mm-hmm. and that suggested to the police that he'd definitely been violated then. Yeah. Uh, about the same time as Conan's murder, um, again, Brooks walked in on him with two more teenage boys. And um, he had them completely strapped up again. Uh, and this time he was strapping them to a four-poster bed, okay. which is which are the beds that have those long, um, like on each corner they have those long poles. Yeah, that go yeah. from like the top to the bottom. So he had them strapped to those. Uh, Dean promised Brooks another car for his silence. 
Brooks, of course, accepted the offer and um, later bought him a green Chevy Corvette. So he's just... <laughs> the yeah. same car? Uh, yeah. But I, don't, I mean, the dude, he was an electrician, but like... Where? You're the buying, hell? you know, you're living in different places. Like, uh, how do you have that much money? Yeah, like, I, I don't get it. I, I mean, the know. candy company, I guess, I but know. also it did get closed down. Yeah. So it's like, I'm really yeah. doubting that they got. I do know that he, like, he, besides the cars, he did promise them a lot of stuff that he never delivered on to. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because on top of mm-hmm. buying them gifts, he was offering them $200 ahead per child that they would lure to him yeah so i thought the same thing is where is he getting all of this money from i yeah, mean he i know did... they didn't see all or a lot of that money yeah yeah him, I, I guess that's that must be what it is is he just wasn't de- delivering and they you know were. maybe yeah i mean they and then he'd be like oh i'll get you next time it'll be four hundred dollars yeah. and then six hundred dollars or whatever the case and you by this time, they're just hoping to get paid. You yeah. know, they're going to keep on probably bringing kids until they finally get that $600, $800, or whatever it may be that he owes to them, you know? So, um, Dean later told Brooks that he killed the two boys and he offered him, like we just said, $200, uh, which nowadays is equivalent to about $1,400. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So for any boy he could lure to Dean's apartments. Um, on December 13th, 1970, Brooks lured um, two 14-year-old Spring Branch youths named James Glass and Danny Yates away from a religious rally held in Houston Heights to Coral's Yorktown apartments. Both kids were tied to opposite side of, sides of Coral's torture board and raped, strangled, and buried in, a, in the boat shed he had rented on November 17th. It's like he just kill, he kills like two at a time. Yeah. You Which know. is like crazy. Like, it's, not only are you incapacitating one person, now you're incapacitating two of them yes. at the same time. Yeah, and it, he literally is doing it at like the same time. Yeah. He gets them both to come together. I just wish one of these people would have been like, no, fuck you, and kicked him in the balls while he was trying to do something to the other one. I feel like that's the point of them getting, you know, they, he gets them so fucked up by the time they wake oh, up. Yeah, yeah. They're already bound. You're true. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that. There's probably I think no that's how he fighting at all, mm-hmm. you know? It just all sounds so easy, you yeah. know, like for him. It doesn't seem like he has to do anything other than like the obviously what he does to them but any of the work to actually get them there we see it's really rare that he is the one that does it yeah um so on december 13th oh no sorry um those two boys names were branch um james i'm sorry james glass yes danny yates yes yes both kids were tied I already said all of that. An electrical cord with alligator clips, which I had to look yeah, that so what up. what is an alligator clip? It's like, it almost looks like, you know, the ends of that, like whenever your car needs jumped mm-hmm. and um, like the ends that you actually put on like the positive so or they negative. Like an alligator mouth? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what they are. They're the clips that look like alligator mouths. Okay. Um, so they found an electrical cord with those clips attached to each end and it was buried alongside Yates' body. Mm. It doesn't say what happened with it, just that it was in the grave with him. So I'm yeah. guessing it was used somehow. Um, six weeks after the double murder of Glass and Yates on January 30th, 1971, Brooks and Coral encountered two more teenage brothers, Donald and Jerry Waldrop. They were walking towards their parents' home. Uh, it says that their dad drove them to a friend's house and they were going to the friend's house to have a talk about starting a bowling league together, which Aww. I know, I know. It's like the most innocent it little is. thing. Yep, yep. Going to 
you know, hang out with your actual friends, you know. And your brother. Yep, and your brother. And when they, the so their father dropped Wait, them no. off. No, they were brothers, yeah. Yes, okay. yes, yep, they were. Their father dropped them off and he left and they, not realizing that the friend actually wasn't home. So since he left, the the brothers started to walk back towards their house, and unfortunately, ran into um. Let me see here. I think it was um, yeah, it was both of them this time. Brooks and Coral were both in the vehicle. Um, so they approached them in their car, uh, offered them a lift home, and uh, the brothers, you know, they they took it they took the ride from him um and then once again offered to go to dean's back to dean's apartment that he had um for a party so that's what they did they took them back to his house uh he then raped tortured strangled and buried both of their bodies in the boat shed the same boat shed where he's been putting his other victims so far between March and May 1971, Coral abducted and killed three more victims. All of them had lived in Houston Heights and all of them were buried toward the rear of the rented boat shed. In each of these abductions, Brooks is known to have been a participant. One of the victims, 15-year-old Randall Harvey, who last who was last seen by his family on the afternoon of March 9th cycling towards Oak Forest, which is where he worked part-time as a gas station attendant. Harvey was driven to Coral's apartment on Mandum Road, which is another place um, where he was killed by a single gunshot wound to the head. I think this is the first one that was shot. shot yeah. yeah, yeah. I think all of the other ones so far were strangled. Um, so, yeah, this is his first victim that he actually used his twenty-two caliber on. The other two victims, 13-year-old David Hillegeist and 16-year-old Gregory Malley Winkle, were abducted and killed together on the afternoon of May 29, 1971. I just don't even know what to say about it, you know? That's so many victims in such a short period of time. It is. It really is. He, like, doesn't take any time off at all. Like, it is one after the other. Uh, just like the other parents of like the earlier victims, you know, they were getting written letters, phone calls from their children, but once again, they did not believe any of it to be true. Um, they knew it was not their sons writing these letters or making these phone calls. So it was, um, starting to turn into major panic. Finally, finally there's panic and a bunch of these parents um are now going to the police to launch a frantic search for their sons um we'll see later on down the road this elmer wayne henley we've talked about him a little bit already um he's ends up being another one of the accomplices with dean yeah Uh, and not only that but he's good friends with a lot of these um, abducted victims yeah and especially the last two the brothers he was a lifelong friend of theirs so he was I mean we're not gonna go into him too much tonight I don't think but no we're not yeah we're was, gonna sorry he was like supposed to be a victim himself originally yeah just a little yeah bit. yeah um yeah we'll go into more about yeah. him next Sunday but um yeah yeah he definitely was so during this, you know, uh, people are starting to search. Um, 15-year-old Elmer Wayne Henley voluntarily offered to distribute posters the parents had printed, offering a, war- a reward for information leading to the boys' whereabouts. I wonder, did he do that hoping to get a reward? I, I don't know. Or just to take the suspicion uh, off Yeah, of yeah, him. maybe. Who knows? Yeah, um, he would have to provide information to get the reward. Yeah, 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 definitely. So he ended up um, going around and pinning all these posters around Houston Heights. And he, while he's doing this, he continues to reassure these parents, especially of the brothers, the parents of the brothers, um, that it must be an innocent reason why their sons yeah. aren't showing back up at home, you know, so which we know isn't. 
Um, on August 17th, 1971, Coral and Brooks encountered a 17-year-old acquaintance of Brooks named Reuben Watson Haney. He was walking home from a movie theater in Houston. Brooks then persuaded Haney to come to a party at Coral's house just like the others, and this house was on San Felipe Street. That he and this is another like another new place. He'd moved to this place just a month prior. Hmm. Haney agreed and went and then was strangled and buried in the boat shed. So again, plying with alcohol, yep. do your same tricks old, on old. him. Exactly. Just like every other victim that he has. Um in September 1971, Coral moved to another apartment in the Heights. Brooks later stated that he helped Coral abduct and murder two youths while Coral Coral was um, living at this address. This included one youth who was killed just before Wayne Henley came into the picture. In this confession, Brooks stated that the youth killed immediately prior to Henley's um, involvement in the murders was abducted from the heights and kept alive for around four days before his murder. The identity identity of both of those victims remains unknown still, which we'll see. There's a few more too, you know, that remained unknown from for a while. For a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but these two are still remained unknown. See, I'll have to look into it. I can only find one. I found like I think we'll look into it because I think they might have identified one okay. like last year yeah. or the year yeah. before. Okay, I yeah. could be wrong. So well, we'll, we'll have that definitely for you guys next week. Um, that's where we're gonna stop this week. Uh, so we hope you enjoy the first half of this. Definitely come back next Sunday for the second half. Yeah. Yep, and um, we will see you guys then. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you.